Good morning. Please, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, where, you know, uh, we spent some time last week looking at uh, Paul's last words to his disciple Timothy. At least um, they're his last words so far as we know. Um, perhaps they met one more time in person. If Timothy made it to Rome in time to see Paul, do your best to come to me quickly, Paul writes to Timothy. But Paul's last letter to Timothy that we call 2 Timothy, it's at least the last written letter we have from Paul to Timothy. And it certainly seems like it was written just before Paul died probably put to death by Caesar for testifying to Caesar about Jesus. And last week, uh, we looked at Paul's encouragement to Timothy in his letter to keep your head, Timothy. Keep your head in God's Word, in fact, when false teachers teach something other than the gospel, other than obedience to God. And keep your head, Timothy, when the sin of the world, the troubles of living in an imperfect world come calling and threaten to overwhelm you. Keep your head, Timothy, and keep your head in God's Word. Great advice. This morning, uh, I want to highlight uh, one other last word from Paul to Timothy. And um, it's one of my favorites because Paul gives Timothy this last word uh, indirectly. So what do you mean by that? Well, he tells Timothy a story, a personal story, one of his last personal experiences before he died, and he tells a story about the legal proceeding that he had before Caesar. Paul calls it his first defense. And Paul very purposefully, in my opinion, he he saves this story about his defense before Caesar for last in his letter to Timothy. I've been thinking about that all week, and I concluded, I think if I were Paul, and I was writing to Timothy, if not the disciple closest to me, certainly a close one who I'm considering my dear son, even as Paul says, I might lead with the story in, the, in my letter, I might lead with the story about getting to see Caesar. Because Timothy, if he's my disciple, he knows that for years I've been desperately wanting to see Caesar. In fact, I've been angling with some of the moves that I've been making, if I'm Paul, just to get to see the man in Rome. And now I've seen Caesar, finally, the ruler of the world. It seems like if I would sit down, if I'd write a letter, I'd say, hey, dear Timothy, guess what? I finally got to see Caesar. But interestingly enough, Paul saves that story for last in his letter, and I've been wondering why. Well, we can all ask Paul why one day, but here's what I suspect. I think perhaps Paul saved the best for last 
as you and I might do, right? If we're telling a story, we might save uh, the last part, the best part for last, and maybe because sometimes those last things we think, uh, you know, um, if there's one thing you remember, maybe you'll remember the last thing. So uh, here, here's the last word that I have. Maybe it'll stick. So we'll ask Paul someday if that's what he had in mind. But let's see what Paul saves for last in his last letter to Timothy. Your Bibles are open to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll begin reading at verse 9. Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, where Timothy is, maybe carrying this letter uh, to Timothy. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls. Bring those, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he was done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And then Paul gets to the last story that um, perhaps he ever told to Timothy. At my first defense, presumably before Caesar, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Achilla and the household of Winisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Putin's, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And Paul ends indirectly through his story, talking about it not going well before Caesar telling Timothy, I don't know that um, I'm going to survive this. And as a goodbye in the context of the story, Paul gives Timothy these three things. Timothy, even though everyone deserted me, the Lord stood at my side. The Lord gave me strength. 
and the Lord will rescue me and bring me safely home. The Lord stood at my side. The Lord gave me strength. And the Lord will rescue me and bring me safely home. And Paul's no stranger in talking about the Lord standing at his side. In Acts 23, Paul, if you remember, has just been before the Sanhedrin, that Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem, and a Roman commander has to come into the proceedings and and actually remove Paul by force, it says, because the commander was afraid those Sadducees were going to tear Paul to pieces, arguing about the resurrection of the dead. And then we read that the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said to him, Take courage, Paul. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And now Paul writes of that to Timothy again, talking about Jesus, the Lord, standing by him before Caesar in Rome. Paul also seems to be thinking about another time God sent his angel to stand by someone. Remember Daniel in the lion's den. Paul tells Timothy, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Daniel, you remember, thrown into the lion's den, left there all night, and the next morning King Darius calls out to Daniel, are you okay? Was your God able to rescue you from the lions? Hmm, Paul uses that word rescue too, doesn't he? And Daniel's response is, yes, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. The Lord stood with Daniel. The Lord rescued him. If you remember earlier in 2 Timothy, Paul's warned Timothy that he's going to encounter many tough things. And he tells Timothy through this last personal experience story that when tough things come, Timothy, the Lord stands at your side. He will give you strength. He will rescue you and bring you safely home. Never forget it. And that leads me to the question that I've got uh, for all of us today. What tough things are you facing today? What tough things are there in your life? A recent survey identified uh, the top ten issues in order that Christian families in particular struggle with. You see the last uh, five of them at least uh, on the screen. Can you relate to any of them? Are they a struggle in your life or in your family? Materialism, that pursuit of things in order to find contentment. Balance of work and family. Negative media influences. Uh, the data there in particularly showing that families are worried about how the media more and more and more seems to be uh, uh, even intentionally trying to desensitize, uh, desensitize us, make us less sensitive to sin. Lack of communication. I first read that and I was surprised. I'm thinking, well, 
I mean, my goodness, we communicate now with each other more than ever, don't we? <laughs> and if there's any time in history, when has there been more uh, communication? But let me tell you, the studies that are now coming out, and they're rushing to catch up with just how explosive and new all of this constant uh, so-called communication is. And what they're finding is just horrific effects on society and kids in particular because they're finding that cell phones and textings and game stations and playstations and and facebooking and twitter and and all of that electronic form of of, of, of bite-sized communication they're finding that it is no substitute for face-to-face relationships You know, this, as much as I could do it to talk to someone, and then waiting, 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 ding! (laughs) LOL. (laughs) This, it's simply no substitute for this. You're being so good up here in the front row. Where'd your sister go? You have no clue? Uh Uh-oh. Okay. No substitute. Financial pressures. Anybody under financial pressure in the room today? Yeah, maybe fewer hands if I said, if you're not in financial pressure at all, raise your hand. How about the top five? Number five is uh, lack of discipline and respect, and um, underneath that one is especially in the home between uh, parents and kids and kids to parents, the fifth most struggle in Christian families. No father figure came in at number four. Busyness. All this technology was supposed to free us to have more time. (laughs) Instead, uh, it's filling us up. More and more and more until it's beyond anything that we were designed, in my opinion, and many others, to be capable of handling. I left the top two blank so you could at least in your mind uh, take a guess at what the top two things are um, that Christian families are struggling with. Got your guesses? Here's number two. Divorce, that one continues to be high on the list of what Christian families struggle with. And it's such a shame. As marriage is intended to be, it's God's number one illustration for our relationship to him and Christ to his church. Maybe that's why the devil attacks marriages so relentlessly and so ruthlessly to ruin that picture. Here's number one. The number one thing that Christian families say today that they're struggling with is our culture, our American culture in particular. It's increasing anti-Christian push. Have you felt that? That one, especially, that one especially caught my eye because the number one reason in 2 Timothy, the number one 
um, peace that Paul warns Timothy of is a cultural anti-Christian peace, that there will be false teachers who teach a different worldview than God's worldview. And so number one in Timothy's life and pastorate and in Ephesus makes the list 2,000 years later uh, number one of what Christian families are struggling with. That's quite a top ten list, isn't it? Can you relate to any of them? Several of you, many of you, if you're like me, you relate to many of them. Maybe all of them, I bet. And I'll bet you could add to that list from your life. These didn't make the top ten, but would you think they're there? Um, Addictions, unhealthy addictions and substance abuse. Relationships that are a struggle. How about your faith? You ever struggle in your faith? Your witness? Health problems and concerns? Temptation? Sin? Depression? Anxiety? Fear? Loneliness? Are they on your list? Could you add to that list uh, from your life? And I'm here to tell you this morning that uh, no matter what's on your list, no matter what your top 10 would be, let it be a top 1,000. No matter what your top 1,000 would be, I'm here to tell you this morning to pass on to you what Paul, with very nearly his dying breath, passed on to Timothy. That come what may, in all circumstances, any and all, Timothy, remember, the Lord stands at your side, my brothers and sisters, and the Lord gives you strength, and the Lord will rescue you and bring you safely home. And my prayer for each of us this morning is... um, It's a prayer that the prophet Elisha prays in 2 Kings chapter 6. In that story, the servant of Elisha is very worried because the king of Syria, the king of Aram, is is after Elisha. The king of Aram is tired of Elisha knowing his every move before he does it, and Elisha goes and warns the king of Israel. So, King of Aram says, you know what, i got to get rid of that prophet. And so he sends horses and chariots and a strong army to go and capture Elisha. The army surrounds Dothan, the city where Elisha is staying. And Elisha's servant is looking out the window. And he sees the army surrounding them. And the servant, he freaks out a little. And he goes to Elisha and he says, Oh my Lord, Elisha, what shall we do? And Elisha tells him, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays this prayer, Oh Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And then the servant looks 
back out the window and he sees that the hills are full of horses and full of chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the servant could see that the Lord was standing with them, that the Lord was giving them strength, and that the Lord would rescue them and bring them safely home. And that's become a common prayer for me when folks come to me because of tough things in their life that have them surrounded. Oh, Lord, open their eyes so they can see you standing there giving strength and rescuing them. I thought I'd try uh, and give you a visual aid this morning. You know, sometimes it's easier to remember a picture than it is words. So I need, um, I need a volunteer. Is Chris Sage still in the room? Chris, come on up. It's important that I have someone with no acting ability at all. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. And I just, um, Chris, um, Chris gets to be God. I know it's a stretch. <laughs> no, it's not a stretch at all. <laughs> they didn't laugh when I said I know it was supposed to be a joke. I know it's a stretch. No, Chris gets to be the Lord. Um, I get to be me or uh, any one of you. And I just want this picture that... Um, Wherever I go, wherever any one of us goes, guess who's standing right there? So if I go down, yeah. I mean, there isn't anywhere that I can go that the Lord isn't with us. But it's so hard for us. If you're like me, isn't it hard that even though, you know, the Lord goes and is always at our side, uh, do you ever struggle like me with seeing that he's there or remembering that he's there? And so sometimes, you know, the Lord will do anything he can to remind us. So sometimes as we go, we can feel, you know, his hand on our shoulder. And sometimes if the Lord really needs to get our attention, maybe, you know, he moves from the side to, to get in front of us. Facing us. Oh. <laughs> you know, but even then, right? Even then, if we're struggling with those top ten, you know, list things, isn't it so easy just to, you know, just not see them? Sometimes I think he'll allow th hard things to happen. Maybe for our own good, so we just stop and we, we look around for help and see him. Mostly, I think he hugs us. So we can really feel that he's right there. I want to give you an assignment this week. Maybe through your whole week. You know, you drive around in your car, and you have an empty seat next to you. Picture it not empty, but picture Chris Sage sitting there. No. <laughs> Picture the Lord with you everywhere you go. Can you try to bring that subconscious knowledge to the forefront of your mind this week?
Would you please um, repeat these words after me? I don't know. Maybe it's a prayer that you can take with you through this week. I've been repeating them all week long. It's been a huge blessing to me, and uh, uh, my hope is it's a blessing to you too. Would you um, say these words, please, after me? The Lord stands at my side. The Lord gives me strength. The Lord will rescue me and bring me safely home. Let's do it again. The Lord stands at my side. The Lord gives me strength. The Lord will rescue me and bring me safely home. The Lord stands at my side. The Lord gives me strength. The Lord will rescue me and bring me safely home. Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's sing again or participate in this song again in closing this morning.